Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 10th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today are Slash Film managing editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Slash Film weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, guys, let's jump right into the news today. Uh, Brad, tell us about Rick and Morty. It got a surprising announcement earlier today. Yeah, today uh, came a huge announcement from Adult Swim. Uh, as we have talked about before, there have been some uh, complex negotiations about renewing Rick and Morty for a fourth season. Uh, it's taken longer than some might have thought, and Dan Harmon has talked about it online as well. Um, the negotiations being creating a little bit of a lack of motivation to get episodes out as soon as possible, but it sounds like maybe those negotiations took a little bit longer because this deal to renew Rick and Morty was even bigger than anyone anticipated because Adult Swim has ordered 70 more episodes of Rick and Morty. That's seven zero, which is double the amount of episodes that have already been created in the first three seasons of the show, which means if the seasons have the same amount of episodes as the previous three have, we're looking at roughly another seven seasons of Rick and Morty. And considering the timetable for how long it takes them to create a season, we're looking at, at at least probably another 10 to 12 years of Rick and Morty coming down the pipeline, which is crazy. I, I honestly can't think off the top of my head another animated show like this that has been given a renewal for so many episodes in one at one time. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, even Family Guy, you know, something as huge and and uh, culturally relevant at that as that was at its peak. I don't know if even that got anything remotely approaching this, right? Yeah, I mean, Family Guy has consistently renewed every year, but I, I, I don't think that, uh, that they've ever gotten more than like two seasons ordered at a time. You know, and same with the, you know, The Simpsons, too. They've only ever had... I think two or three seasons ordered at a time. So yeah, I mean, this is this is like a pretty big uh, order for new episodes. And so you know, it it seems kind of crazy because like we're talking about you know looking almost a decade in the future. Like we, you know, what is Adult Swim even going to look like by then? You know, like how many other shows are, that are still on air right now are even still going to be around? So mm-hmm. Adult Swim apparently wants to invest a lot in Rick and Morty, and they want to keep Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland happy. So so I, only, uh, oh go ahead. 
I think the only comparable thing here for me is there are a lot of animated shows made directly for syndication. I'm thinking of off the top of my head, Batman the animated series in the nineties that get approved for like 65 episode batches, but then they take those 65 episodes and play them for three or four years and then improve another 65. Uh, but go ahead and improving 70 for shows that are a show that's divided cleanly in the seasons is not going straight to syndication and like running every day after school. This is, this is new to me. If this has happened before and you know about it, I would like you to email the show because I, I think this is unprecedented. Yeah, and you can oh. do that at peter at slashfilm.com. Go ahead, Brad. Yeah, funnily enough, the, the order does push Rick and Morty over 100 episodes, which is the magic number they need to hit in order to get syndication. So uh, that's good for everyone who makes money off of making Rick and Morty and will, can, will continue to make money off reruns for the foreseeable future. The only uh, thing that we're still not sure of is, A, when season four is going to hit Adult Swim, and B, the timetable for which how the forthcoming seasons are going to come out, since that's been kind of inconsistent within the first three seasons. Right. And Brad, I know you're a big fan of the show. Uh, Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon, the creators, sort of strike me as like these very troubled geniuses. I think they've there's been a lot of delays in terms of how long it's taken some of the Rick and Morty episodes to come out, and there's been a lot of like behind the scenes uh, strife in terms of just the the effort that it takes to create this show. Do you think that with those guys uh, operating the way they do creatively, that they're actually going to be able to hit this this new 70 episode count? Well, part of me wonders if maybe they've struck a deal like this and it and somewhere in the the deal is like dictates that there's no set timetable for them to complete the episodes so they can take as much time as they need to to do it. Kind of like um with, you know, uh Curb Your Enthusiasm can come back at any time whenever Larry David decides he wants to do another season. HBO is 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 down to do it. Mm-hmm. So so I feel like the deal, you know, is like they have to produce 70 episodes maybe eventually. Like th- this is just me speculating. This is not like for sure what the deal is, but mm-hmm. I imagine that's the case because yeah, like you said, Royland and Harmon, um plenty of people from behind the scenes of the show and everything um everything and even Harmon and Royland themselves have, you know, talked about their their struggles with alcoholism and depression and how that affects production on the series and their writing process while even though um you know it also helps you know what is part of what makes the show great too mm-hmm. um but yeah it's, it's definitely there's definitely some inconsistency there and could create some trouble but obviously you know adult swim trust in them to, to do their job and do it well all right. Well, yeah, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. Let's move on to our next item, and that is uh, the future of director Peter Jackson. Jacob, what do we know about the options that he's weighing right now? Uh, there's the rumor slash report slash whatever you want to call it going on the internet right now is that Mr. Jackson and his team are weighing one of two possible projects. Uh, in one, uh, on one hand, they are possibly joining Amazon's Lord of the Rings TV series, which you've discussed frequently on this show. Uh, but now the word out there is that Jackson is also considering directing a DC comic book movie for Warner Brothers. And the report here comes from uh, the OneRing.net, which started out as a Lord of the Rings uh, movie site back in the uh, early 2000s, late 90s, and has since become an authority on all things Peter Jackson. So if they say this, I wouldn't be surprised if there's truth to this. Uh, they're, they're not the kind of site that goes around posting falsities. So the fact is that, that this report exists from them means that either Peter Jackson is considering this or Warner Bros. has made the offer or these, this conversation is happening in some capacity. Uh, I feel I would feel I would put a couple bucks on the line about this one. But anyway, um, so I get the two options here. Does Peter Jackson join uh, the DCEU as it's been labeled online? And 
Uh, does that mean he makes a, the Man of Steel sequel, which been talked about for years? Does it mean he takes on a character who hasn't been announced yet? Maybe he tries to get the Justice League working again. Uh, or goes back to Middle Earth, where he's spent six movies and many, many years of his life. And I don't know about you guys, uh, but I don't think I need more Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings. I remember reading a New Yorker profile of Guillermo del Toro from years ago, back when he was still attached to make The Hobbit. And his vision of Middle Earth was so different and it sounded so refreshing. And then we saw The Hobbit get made with Peter Jackson. I'm like, okay, I've seen this before. I've seen hours and hours and hours of this. Mm-hmm. So I feel like of these two, I think I'd rather see Peter Jackson try a superhero movie, try Superman, try something that's different uh, as opposed to visit a place where I feel like he loves, but he's getting tired of it. What do you guys think? Yeah, I definitely agree. What do you think, Brad? You know, I don't necessarily know that Peter Jackson is tired of Middle Earth. You know, um, I think that maybe The Hobbit was just an example of the studio wanting to stretch a story um, to its maximum potential and it spread too thin. And since Peter Jackson you know, joined the project later in the game and wasn't with it from the beginning that maybe it wasn't quite as much of a passion project as Lord of the Rings was. Um, so I'm not opposed to him returning to Middle Earth, but I also kind of do feel the same way that I would like to see him do something different, even if his offerings outside of Lord of the Rings haven't necessarily been the best. Um, but, you know, I'm, I like, I, I do love the, the King Kong remake that he did, but, you know, I... You know, I'm not, I'm not even sure what a what a Peter Jackson superhero movie would look like. So I, I'm definitely interested to see that if that's the case. Um, but I do wish that maybe it wasn't DC. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the and I it's think it's, oh, go ahead. Oh, um, I sorry to keep interrupting you. It's a problem when we record by phone. Uh, <laughs> as to how the sausage gets made, listeners, we're all not in the same room here. So when we talk over each other, it's an accident. Uh, but I think that Peter Jackson's uh, sensibilities, the way he's able. To, He's such an honest filmmaker. Lord of the Rings and King Kong and uh, and all of his movies wear their hearts on their sleeve. Their humor is um, very gentle and sweet. Uh, characters speak their minds. Nobody's cynical. Everybody is sort of um, being their best person in a lot of Peter Jackson movies. That makes him such a good fit for Superman, better than Zack Snyder ever could have been. So if they, if they are going to make another Henry Cavill Superman movie, and they should because Henry Cavill deserves another solo movie, I think that he's a good choice for that. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I was going to say. Like, he has that sort of classic or classical filmmaking style, and obviously he's handled movies with huge budgets like this. He knows the ins and outs of how to actually get something like this done, which it seems to be like half the job these days when it comes to hiring blockbuster directors. We've seen a lot of uh, a lot of fallout from different companies and stuff with people being hired and, and booted off of projects for one reason or another. But you know Jackson has the experience to get something like this done. And yeah, like Brad mentioned, like the King Kong, I think that's a perfect example. It's like he ha- Jackson has uh, a reverence for these kinds of older movies. And I spe- especially with the way that uh, Justice League handled Superman and sort of turning him a little bit out of the uh, dour version of that character that originated that Zack Snyder originated in Man of Steel I feel like Peter Jackson would be a perfect person to grab that baton and run with it and really bring Superman back to like the glory days of the way that he is portrayed and 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 that fans really um react positively to you know what I mean all right let's move on to our next item and that is Cobra Kai the YouTube Red series has been renewed for a second season now I don't think any of us on today's episode have actually seen Cobra Kai yet but I know Brad is looking forward to catching up with that uh Peter Serretta the editor-in-chief of Slashbelt.com has 
um is a big fan of the show you can find his tweet i think uh he's tweeted about that maybe i can embed his um thread in the show notes i'll, I'll try to link to that so you guys can get his his full thoughts about it uh and he, I, he, I know he's talked about it on uh, a couple episodes of the podcast earlier this week but uh the show we know is going to be coming back in 2019 we aren't entirely sure how many episodes it's going to be but the safe guess is that it'll be 10 more episodes just like the first season and uh, yeah, this is good news for people who enjoyed the continuing adventures of Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about this based on what you've seen of the reaction of Cobra Kai so far? I think the most surprising thing that I've seen is that people like legitimately like this show. It's not like a show people like with caveats, like, oh, I'm a big fan of Karate Kid, so I had to like it as nostalgia. It's a, oh, wow, that's actually good. I've heard that from many people who actually legitimately liked it. We're pleasantly surprised by the fact that it's actually a real show with real stakes and real characters, which I don't think a lot of us saw coming. And maybe Brad can add to this uh, as well, but I don't know what, it, like, when I think about Netflix, I know what a Netflix show looks like in my head. I know what an Amazon show feels like. I know what each network's personality feels like. I don't know what YouTube Red's personality is. I feel like Cobra Kai could be the defining show, the, the, the madman to YouTube's AMC. The show that kind of says, oh, this is what makes us who we are. And maybe we'll start informing who YouTube Red is and what in their slate going forward. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, YouTube has struggled to really define themselves in these, this age of subscription services, streaming services. Um, and like you said, you know, networks, when they kind of start to rebrand themselves and figure out their approach for original content, they need a, a flagship show that really shows people, look, we can do good stuff, and now we'll continue to do great stuff like this. And I wasn't sure Cobra Kai was going to be it, especially because you know, you're gearing a show where the nostalgia is hitting people who grew up in the, the 80s and 90s, and those aren't people who are necessarily on YouTube all the time watching YouTubers and all these reaction shows and all the, you know, the quasi-celebrities who are emerging from the YouTube world. And so I wasn't really sure how it was going to work, but it sounds like they have a hit on their hands. They had huge ratings. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about this show. Like, people have been ranting and raving about how surprisingly good it is. Um, I'm hoping that it's not just a case that people are, are happy that it's better than they thought it would be because it's, you know, it felt like it was going to be one of those hacky nostalgia grabs. Um, I, like I, like you guys said, I haven't watched it yet. I plan on it very soon just cause I keep hearing good things about it and I, I want to watch it. So, uh, I'm interested to see how, what the first season is like and then where the story goes from there. So that's Cobra Kai, and the first two episodes are available for free to everyone right now. You don't even have to be a YouTube Red subscriber. You can check those out. And I guess the first episode has already pulled in more than 20 million views, so that's pretty significant uh, by itself. So yeah, we'll, we'll be keeping uh, our eye out for more on uh, Cobra Kai Season 2. For everything we know about the show so far, our own Peter Soretta has written up a detailed article breaking down really everything we, we know and s sort of theorizing what could happen in the second season. I'm not going to get into any of that right now because I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen anything yet but you can uh, click on the link in the show notes and, and find that stuff out if you are interested so let's move on to our next item and that is the trailer for the predator came out today Brad tell us about this yeah we've been waiting a long time for this mostly because the predator has was delayed for a while uh, it was supposed to be out earlier this year then it kept, got pushed back a little bit and pushed back a little bit more it's finally coming out this fall we got our first look at the trailer today after it played uh, at CinemaCon back in April. And not going to lie, it's kind of disappointing. Um, the first Predator is fantastic. The sequel, not so much. Alien vs. Predator, whatever. Um, but the idea <laughs> the idea of Shane Black, you know, 
coming back to Predator. Yeah, you know, not only did he star in it, but he's a great writer. Uh, the fact that he was doing this made me so excited for it. And this teaser trailer doesn't really do anything to get me excited about it. Um, I, I, I'm still ho holding out hope that maybe it's just the way it's being marketed and maybe they just don't want to give everything away yet. But I'm just not getting a good vibe from the footage they've, they've shown so far. It feels kind of hacky to me. And I just, I, I don't know. I hope it's worth it. But I'm just, I don't know. I'm not sold yet. Yeah, I, I want to throw this to Jacob in just a second. But just to quickly uh, recount my thoughts about this. I really like the opening of this trailer where it, it starts off in this sort of Amblin-esque style with Jacob Tremblay opening up uh, the actor, the young actor who starred in the movie Room. Uh, he appears in this movie and he sort of opens up this package where he has like some of the Predator's armor or like some homing device or something. And he essentially calls down a Predator ship. And then from that point, it really it sort of devolves into like a lot of uh, a big chaotic mess really i've seen a lot of people saying uh, in terms of the reaction to this like i don't know what movie i don't know what you're marketing to me i don't know what you're trying to tell me this movie is and i feel like this trailer doesn't really have an identity we're talking about the identity of youtube red i i trailers are generally supposed to be pretty easily digestible and very basic in terms of how to get its point across and i'm just not sure that this trailer for the predator really succeeded there but jacob i'm interested in a what you think about this and b i know you visited the set of this movie and now that embargo has been lifted so maybe you can tell us a little bit about your experience on the set uh yes the uh i did visit the vancouver set last year and uh fox let us know today that we can publish our uh work or reports from that set anytime so look for that in the coming days and i was really excited about this because Here's the plot of the movie, as we were told by the filmmakers on set, that, we, that we'll, we'll recount in our articles, which is that Boyd Holbrook plays a soldier who sees the Predator and is sent to a um, military hospital because people think he's crazy. Meanwhile, his autistic son, played by Jacob Tremblay, translates the Predator language um, and accidentally calls him down to Earth. So in order to rescue his son and save the planet from Predators, Boyd Holbrook breaks out of psychiatric military prison with a bunch of PTSD-stricken soldiers to go save the day. That's what the movie's about, and that's not what his trailer sells at all. And that's such a great hook. It's full of so many wonderful little um, angles to approach the Predator series with, and none of that's in the trailer. This trailer is just a huge, badly cut mess, and I don't understand why they didn't tell us what this movie's about. Yeah, that's it's really a shame. But I, I mean, like we've all been talking about, Shane Black is such a solid filmmaker, and I'm, I'm just like Brad. I'm hoping out, holding out hope that this is just a bad trailer, and that this movie itself is not a disaster. I think uh, there were some reports going around that the, um, the third act of this movie was reshot in order to. Uh, change the setting and sort of uh, pump up the action a little bit. So I think that's probably a good sign. Um, Jacob, can you give us any more insight into what you saw on the set there? Uh, we saw a lot of guns. We saw a lot of things being fired. We saw a lot of really cool sets. The footage we did see being shot was a lot of very charming actors, Thomas J and Keegan-Michael Key, uh, firing automatic weapons at um, Predator hunting dogs to be added later by CGI. The Predators have their own hound dogs in this movie. And the scene we saw being shot was all the actors with machine guns on a baseball diamond screaming in terror as they're firing at Predator dogs charging at them. And, I, and it looked like a lot of fun. And once again, <laughs> hopefully the movie is as fun as the stuff we saw being shot. Uh, because the stuff we saw there was, got me so excited to see a trailer. And this trailer just made me go, <laughs> Yeah. So... 
Yeah. Well, you guys can watch the trailer. Uh, I'll, again, I'll like all these stories. I'll link it in the show notes. So you let us know what you guys think about it as well. Uh, let's move on to our next item, and that is Ron Howard reportedly shot about 70% of Solo, a Star Wars story. Brad, tell us the latest of what we know so far. As we've heard uh, plenty of times before, there were some, some trouble on Solo, a Star Wars story, when Phil Lord and Chris Miller were directors, which is why they were removed from the production by Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy. Um, we've heard several times over the, the problems on set as far as them not really making the movie that Lucasfilm hoped they would make, um, kind of shooting a little bit off the cuff, going off script too often, and spending a lot of time on things that they probably didn't need to spend that much time on. So they brought in Ron Howard to shoot the movie, and since then there's been some question as to how the uh, you know credits were going to be handled as far as directors are concerned, how much of the movie needed to be fixed or reshot since they were already pretty well um, far into production when Phil, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were still working on it. And it sounds like Ron Howard ended up shooting a pretty hefty amount. Uh, there's a new profile in the movie from Wall Street Journal where they talk about the, the tensions that were happening on set between Lord and Miller and Kennedy. And uh, the article says that Ron Howard ended up shooting about 70% of the finished movie that we'll end up seeing in theaters, which is a pretty big amount of such a, a large budget movie. Um, and so that's why Phil Lord and Chris Miller decided not to dispute um, a lack of receiving any director's credit for the movie. They, they, they screened it, they saw it, and it sounds like what they saw, they, they agreed that they didn't really direct enough of the movie to feel like they should take a director's credit, um, but they still have executive producer's credits uh, on the movie when we'll see it in theaters. Mm-hmm. So, so the movie that we're going to see really is going to be essentially a Ron Howard movie. You know, it's not going to be a, a Phil Lord and Chris Miller movie that Ron Howard came in and did some slight touch-ups on. This is, you know, full, pretty much fully a Ron Howard movie. So let me ask you this. We're, we're talking about these percentages, and this has been really all we've had to talk about for for the entire lead-up to the release of the film. But the movie is premiering, I think the premiere is actually tonight in Hollywood, and people are going to start actually seeing the finished product soon do you think based on what you've seen in terms of the trailers and the tv spots and stuff do you think that people are going to be talking about solo in the same way that they talk about rogue one or do you think all of this behind the scenes stuff is just going to fall away as soon as the movie comes out i think it's definitely going to be as prominent as it was with rogue one you know i mean you can't ignore it when it's been so highly publicized and when you've done something as big as replace a director on a movie um i i I feel like if the movie turns out well then there's not going to be really much talk about it but if people end up not liking it then there'll probably be a lot of discussion as to whose fault it is you know what happened behind the scenes and that kind of thing but Mm -hmm. if if it's good i feel like people would be like okay everything went as well as good as it uh should have and we're all good now right uh jacob what do you think do you have any thoughts on that i think that we're gonna be hearing new stories about the shooting of solo for the next decade plus i think that in in a long time in years and years we'll get that tell-all book with all the details i think it's gonna go down as one of those legends when the movie turns out good or bad we're gonna be hearing about this and who did what and what was what for years All right, Uh, so let's move on to our last article, and I I scheduled this one last so we could give people enough time to check out if they don't want to hear anything about Avengers 4 or Avengers Infinity War. If you've not seen Infinity War, now is the time to leave us. If you don't want to know anything at all about Avengers 4, 
then also now is probably the, the best time to tune out. So with those spoiler warnings in place, Jacob, did Gwyneth Paltrow just reveal a big spoiler for Avengers 4? Maybe. It's a big maybe. And this is a discussion we had before we wrote this article uh, late yesterday when it broke. Because the staff is not so sure uh, if this is uh, Gwyneth Paltrow misspeaking or Gwyneth Paltrow actually giving away something big. Uh, and Chris Evangelista, who, who couldn't be here to, uh, today talk about this article himself, broke it down the four possible options. But first, uh, I'll read you the Gwyneth Paltrow quote. So this comes from the official Avengers Infinity War magazine. Uh, we can debate how what official means in this context. It's not published directly by Marvel, but it has the word official in the name. So presumably somebody at Marvel looked at it. Uh, but... The quote from Gwyneth Paltrow reads as such. Pepper and Tony have had a real long journey together. She obviously starts as his dutiful assistant. Then the relationship evolves. And now this decade later, they're married and they have a child. Their relationship has evolved in all the ways that was great that great romances evolve. So her words here, her and Tony have a child. So there are a few options here. Let's start with the one that I believe, which is that Gwyneth Paltrow misspoke. She meant to say, with uh, Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark, and Pepper Potts are discussing having a child. They're having that conversation. That is something that is um, on the table, but has not happened yet. This is, that's what I believe. But the other option, this is a deleted scene from Avengers Infinity War that Paltrow did not know was deleted or had forgotten was deleted, where it's revealed that she is pregnant. Uh, There's a good point for it in the movie where as Iron Man is rocketing into space, he gets a phone call from Pepper, but the signal goes out. It's easy to imagine a cut back to Earth where we see that she has a pregnancy test and it's positive, making his journey um, into space all the more tragic. So it, it could be a deleted scene. Uh, the other option is going to happen in Avengers 4. Uh, and Gwyneth Paltrow has confused which movie is which, which when you film two movies at the same time, it's understandable. And that means that uh, Avengers 4 could see a time jump. Uh, it could be a year or two. It could be a couple years. It could be a decade. There are some set photos where, uh, where we see... Robert Downey Jr. on set looking older. He has what appears to be gray hair, but it, it could be just the way the photograph is shot. It could be rubble from an action scene. It's not entirely clear. Uh, but some people are speculating, I think this is an, an interesting read on all this, uh, that Avengers 4 jumps forward a long time and has the world and universe reeling with what Thanos did, and we'll see some time travel shenanigans to reset things back, to bring back everybody and um, probably kill a few mainstays in the process. And finally, the last option is that Pepper is a friend of Spider-Man and Tony's adopted Spider-Man. But <laughs> those are the four possible reads. I think three of those are a bit more plausible than the others. Uh, Brad and Ben, what do you think about this? So I'm very interested to hear what Brad has to say, so I want to let him go first. Uh, you know, we were talking about this yesterday on the Slack, and the more I thought about it, the more interesting I thought it would be if Avengers 4 did have a time jump and we we join you know, uh, go back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe where a year or two years has passed and people have kind of moved on from what happened or at least moved on as best they can after half the universe has been wiped out. Um, it would create a little bit of a solid ground for, you know, these characters actually being gone and we wouldn't immediately rejoin the movie after the end of the events of Infinity War and assume that they're all just going to be saved you know, right away, and that's going to be the whole plot of Avengers 4. Even the writers have said uh, recently, I forget if, whether it was uh, Marcus or McFeely, but they said that Avengers 4 isn't going to be the kind of movie that fans expect it to be, which would kind of apply to that if they're not immediately going to be figuring out some way 
to bring everybody back. Part of me wonders if maybe their um, time has passed and like that signal that uh, Nick Fury sends to Captain Marvel at the end takes a while to get to Captain Marvel and she arrives after you know time has passed and all of a sudden they have this opportunity drop from them where she's like, no, we can fix this. You know, we can say, you know, like change what, what happened, uh, which would be, you know, shocking to the character and it would be an interesting development to see unfold. So uh, I kind of like that theory, but I do think that the, the most likely and easiest explanation is that there was something extra that was cut from Infinity War where maybe Pepper learns that she was pregnant or there was supposed to be something like that it, um, involved. It seems like a, a weird screw up for her to make if, it's a true or B not a deleted scene. So it's, it's definitely a curious thing for her to say that, but I'm, I feel like maybe uh, there's not too much like things to look in there as far as far as in-depth theories are concerned. Yeah. I wrote up an article. This was probably a few days ago now, but it, it was sort of gathering a bunch of theories about Avengers four and what might happen. And one of the things, one of the theories, I believe it was uh, vanity fair uh, that posed this initially was that there might be a superhero wedding in Avengers four, because that's something that it's a trope that's been done in the comics a bunch of times, two superheroes get married and you look out in the crowd and you know, the, the crowd of, uh, of onlookers is all full of superheroes as well. It's sort of like a fun thing a way to do a cool splash panel kind of thing and i feel like that would be a really great bookend to this decade of uh marvel cinematic universe movies the directors the russo brothers have keep talking about this first 10 years being a marvel book and then somebody else is going to come along and write the next book but this is you know avengers 4 is going to be closing the book on what's been done before and i can't think of a more fairy tale appropriate way for that book to close than there to be a wedding and a baby involved but i just don't know uh if gwyneth paltrow said this uh was she, if, was she talking about avengers 4 was she talking about a deleted scene i don't know but i would not be surprised at all if that's how avengers 4 ends once all of this has presumably all these pieces have been put back together by captain marvel and whoever else uh, ends up surviving this thing um, I guess that leads me into one final question, and, and it sort of has been on my mind for a little while and, and sparked again when you guys were talking about this. What do you guys make of the theory, I've seen some speculation out there, that when Thanos snapped his fingers at the end of Infinity War, uh, and, and we see Captain America and these people that survive actually react to the loss of these people right in front of them, their friends, they see them disappear into dust, but what if Avengers 4 picks up and we realize that some sort of effect has been put in place where they don't actually remember that those people existed at all. Do you think that's a plausible theory for what for how the beginning of Avengers 4 might uh, open? Or do you feel like it's going to be one of those things where everyone knows and is just sort of walking around shell-shocked for regardless of how much time there's been between movies? Uh, Jacob, do you have any thoughts? Like everyone has to know. Uh, that undoes the tragedy of it all. I mean, if, if there is a time jump or time jump or not, the thrill of Avengers 4 is going to be saying, okay, how do Tony and Steve and all the rest react to the, the, the true the true horror of having lost so many friends and to have any kind of memory hijinks happen is, would, in my opinion, would be silly. I think it would just be, I think the, and I don't, I haven't read this theory in depth, but I think from what I've been able to glean is that like, uh, maybe Ant-Man and the Wasp, if they're in the quantum realm or something, they would not be subjected to that loss of memory. So maybe they would sort of pop out and be the ones who have to remind all of the surviving heroes, like, hey, this is how things were 
let's get these people back. Or Captain Marvel, who maybe has um, alien DNA fused in there. There may be some way for her to, you know, not have her memory uh, wiped or, any, or something. And maybe she's the one who comes in and, and sort of uh, spurs on that um, reminding kind of vibe. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I don't like that the whole, the memory wiping thing. I I think that it it makes it less far less impactful and uh, meaningful to those characters if they don't remember. It's kind of a cop out, and I feel like the logistics of it are kind of uh, hard to swallow as well. Because like we see in the credit scene, uh, there's a helicopter that crashes, mm-hmm. and like uh, so like there would be tons of things that like crashed and went wrong because people suddenly disappeared, and I feel like it would be strange if you know, somehow there was an the you know it was explained that oh everyone just forgets that these things happen now right. and they they just don't know I just I don't like it. What I do like though is maybe there's a superhero wedding at the beginning of Avengers four and Captain Marvel shows up and she tells the Avengers she's like you have to come back with me and they're like where she's like back to the future. <laughs> I want to say one more thing before we leave Infinity War for today and uh, slash some cast David Chen tweeted this out and. He, he, he joked that uh, he couldn't get it out of his brain once he thought about it, and now I can't get it out of my brain. Now I want to make sure it won't leave your brain, which is why if Thanos really had good intentions or, like, noble intentions with causing mass genocide, uh, why didn't he use the Infinity Gauntlet to double the universe's resources? Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 saw, I, saw that, I saw that too, and someone made a very uh, intelligent point in that there's not enough space on these planets to double resources. But you can you can double size the planets, Brad. You can do anything. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Well, that, um, that's another reason why the uh, the memory wiping theory doesn't really work very well. Because if half of the planet is gone, then that means that there's so much more empty uh, real estate that people will theoretically just be like, oh, why is nobody using this giant plot of land? Why has this house been unoccupied for however long, I guess? You know what I mean? Like that That's another uh, hiccup in that little bit of logic there. Um, really quickly... I feel like we should talk about this because it's breaking news, and I I, I know I care, and I'm going to be upset about it. Um, can we can we do this? Can yeah, do this? yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently, Fox just canceled Brooklyn Nine Nine and Last Man on Earth. Oh, that's unfortunate. I have not seen Brooklyn Nine Nine, but I've been watching Last Man on Earth since the beginning. So I I think uh, Will Forte, the star of that show, and I think he created it as well. Um, when the season four finale, which just aired, I think it was last week, he posted a picture on Instagram saying like, "Yeah, if this is it, then this is it. We're not sure if we're coming back," kind of thing. Um, so that's that's unfortunate to hear. But Brad, I think you're a big fan of Brooklyn Nine Nine, right? Yeah, this is thoroughly frustrating. These are two fantastic comedies, and if Fox has proven one thing over the years, it's that they don't show enough respect for the great comedies that they have on their networks. They've consistently canceled great shows, and this is another instance where they're canceling two of the best comedy shows that they've had in a long time. And I really hope and uh, that Netflix or Hulu will pick up one or both of them because they both deserve to be saved. Like They both still have a lot of uh, legs left in them, and I feel like yeah, they they need to stick around for for a little while longer because they're both fantastic. Jacob, do you watch either of those shows? No, this is literally a case where I was hearing about them being on the bubble these past few weeks, and I kept thinking, man, I really should get into those, and now they're canceled, and I I feel everyone around me being so bummed out. So now I'm in that weird position of do I start a show knowing that it's canceled, it may not have a great ending, or or do I power through knowing that people have enjoyed the journey so much? Yeah, what do you think, that... Brad? Should I start? I uh, I mean, 
they're so good, man. I mean, like, yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is, is especially great. Uh, Last Man on Earth does some really interesting things with the, you know, the whole apocalyptic uh, storyline. And yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it's worth it. Like, even if they're, if they're ending, like it's, you'll be, you'll be glad that you watch these shows. Yep. Yep. I agree. Uh, all right. Before we fully wrap up, I wanted to mention two articles up on the site. One is uh, I wrote up the trailer for a movie called Searching. I talked about this on the podcast not too long ago. I saw it at Sundance and love this movie. So I just want to make sure that this is on everybody's radar. It comes out on August 3rd. So I'll link to the trailer in the show notes. It's a movie starring John Cho uh, where he is searching for his missing daughter. I think, Brad, you saw this at Sundance as well, right? I did. So what did you think about it? Remind me. Uh, it's it's really fun. It's um, I think that it, it gets a, a little crazier than I was expecting as far as um, the twists and turns of the narrative takes. But I it's I definitely was captivated and I had so much fun fun with it. I'm really excited to see it again. Uh, my mom is somebody who likes to see horror movies and thrillers, so whenever a new one comes out, uh, we always go go end up going to see it together. And I know she'll really like this one. Um, and it's, it's really, it's unique too, because it, it unfolds on entirely on a computer screen, um, which we've seen in movies like, uh, unfriended, but this is done in a, a much different way. And it's, it's done in a much more engaging way, I think. Yeah, this movie is awesome. And then uh, really quickly, I just wanted to plug uh, a video that I made for Slash Film where I went to the Warner Brothers Studio Tour earlier this week, and they have a new Justice League exhibit uh, up on display there. So I, they normally don't allow video inside, but they told us to bring our video cameras in. So I grabbed a couple cameras and, and went in there and got a bunch of video. So if you guys are fans of the DC Universe or Wonder Woman especially, uh, there's a bunch of cool Wonder Woman stuff in there. And, um, and yeah, you can watch that video on Slash Film. Com. So I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Where can we find more of your work online, guys? Jacob, let's start with you. Uh, I am on SlashFilm.com every single day, and I'm on uh, Twitter, where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. Brad? You can find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. I'm always writing on Slash Film, and you can also check out my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. And my name is Ben. You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. And you can find more about all of the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deep dives into the great features that you can find at the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send us feedback, questions, comments, and concerns at peter at slashfilm.com. Be sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. And also don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Just take a couple minutes to do that. We would really appreciate it. It helps us out in terms of visibility. Tell your friends about the show. Spread the word any way you can. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.